Hey everybody, this is Tim Green with Rattle Magazine, and this is Rattlecast number 36. Uh, we have Catherine Barron Sweat here with us, who's going to be joining us in just a bit. Thanks so much for joining us. Uh, let me make sure everything's working before we get going, but it looks like it is. Um, as always, Rattle is a publication of the Rattle Foundation, a 501c3 nonprofit working to promote the practice of poetry. We've been in continuous publication since 2000, no, 1995. Yeah, 2000 is, is much more recent than we started. Um, and uh, we just do this because we love poetry. So the way you can help is by clicking the like button, sharing, and telling your friends to subscribe. That's really uh, all there is to it. We appreciate when you do that. That's how things pop up on the, um, um, you know, watch next and, and your, your Facebook streams and, and all that stuff. Now to start out, um, we usually do a warm-up poem. And, um, and I would like to start out with today's poem. I just thought, um, it's by Ted Kuzer, and um, it's a poet respond poem about the current coronavirus crisis that everybody's experiencing. And um, if you haven't seen it yet, we have an open mic show uh, for poet respond poems every Sunday morning. But um, uh, I couldn't read this last Sunday. I knew this was coming up, but uh, we couldn't read it because it, it was forthcoming still. Um, so I thought I'd read it here. Um, it's been really interesting to see, you know, poets takes from all over the country about uh, what's going on right now. And um, it's it's interesting to hear, think about Ted Kuzer in his house in Nebraska, thinking about uh, COVID-19. And here's, this is A Pretty Pass by Ted Kuzer. Things have come to a pretty pass, mother, as you'd be saying today, when the mailman's afraid of the mail, up at our box by the road, extending a latex-gloved hand from his Jeep to put in my earlier letter to you, stamped, Return to sender, address unknown. But I'm trying again. I've been wanting to tell you that the address you left behind, that of your house on slow 29th Street, its shutters nailed open, never meant to shut out anything. That open-windowed world is gone, and the world that replaced it isn't one that you'd recognize. The mailman wearing disposable gloves, and neighbors quarantined in their houses as they wait for a little good news. And although you resisted it fiercely, perched in your chair by your front window's familiar view, your sewing basket always within reach for making new things, for making things new or nearly new, mending and darning at a time when the world was still mendable, I'd say you were lucky to go when you did. And that was Ted Kuzer. Um, Ted Kuzer was the um, uh, 13th U.S. Poet Laureate. Uh, from 2014 or 2004 to 2006, and his book *Delights and Shadows* won the 2005 Pulitzer Prize. His most recent book is *Kindest Regards*. So I thought that'd be a good warm-up poem to share. And now let's bring in our guest. Um, now Catherine Baron Sweat um, won the 2019 Donald Justice Poetry or Ju Donald Justice Prize for *Voice Message*. Um, she's a high school English teacher uh, living in New York City. She has a PhD in American Literature from Columbia University. Her poems have been published in various journals, including the Lyric here at Rattle, four poems from this book, uh, Mezzo Kamen, The Raintown Review, and The Orchard Poetry Journal. And her sonnets were finalists for the Nemirov Contest in 2016 and 2017. She also has a chapbook called 21 from Finishing Line Press a few years ago. You can find more about this book, Voice Message, at, um, at uh, Autumn house.org and here she is uh catherine 
Barrett Sweat. Hey, Catherine, how are you doing? I'm very well. How are you? I'm great. It's really great to see you. Um, and, and you're in New York City, right? Or are you upstate from New York? Right now? Uh-huh. So not in New York because I'm teaching uh, virtually or um, online. Uh-huh. So. Yeah, yeah. Um, do you want to start us out with a poem? All right. I thought I would just start with the title poem of the collection. Yeah, that'd be um, great. Which is a sonnet called Voice Message. My brother's wife still answers when I call, and he's not picking up. I say, it's me, just saying hi, not anything at all. I'm sure he senses my anxiety. He picks up halfway through. Hello, hold on. He turns it off. His voice is clear. He sounds okay. He's there. Maybe he will hold on. Amazing how the human soul rebounds. I think her voice is like a rickety bridge suspended there above a roaring creek that rushes through a narrow mountain gorge. Approaching grief is never for the meek. She's gone. It's just my brother on the line who seems to tell me, sure, I'm here. I'm fine. Thanks so much, Catherine. That was voice message of the title poem from... um from uh, Catherine Barrett Sweat's newest book, Voice Message. Um, do you want to introduce a little bit what the, the book is about? Um, of course. So it has three sections, um, and it's uh, many of the poems in the book are about my daughter, who, who died after a skiing uh, accident in 2010. But... Um, Poems are also about Vermeer. I have a crown of sonnets about uh, Vermeer's paintings. And I have poems about my marriage um, and just a lot of different topics. I, I teach English, so um, there are some poems about other poets um, as well as uh, the ones about the painter Vermeer. So. Uh, there's a variety of poems, but uh, most of them are in form, though there are some free verse poems as mm-hmm. well. And, um, yeah, I'll, I'll leave it at that. <laughs> yeah, well, that's what one thing as I was wondering about after um, reading the book was about. It felt like your daughter died in a ski accident, but I wasn't exactly sure if I was interpreting that right. And um, and when it was, too, I was kind of wondering about that. So, so these are mostly poems written after that. Is that... That's true. There are some earlier poems um, that met with the theme of the different sections. For example, the third section is called Marginalia Mm -hmm. and um, involves mostly poems that are about uh, literary works. And Marginalia is what people write in the margins of books when they're reading. So these are sort of poems conceived of as Marginalia, as responses to other texts. so some of those are earlier, but um, most of the other poems are, were written in the last 10 years. Yeah, yeah. And the, the poems about death are just, are just such heartbreaking poems, and the, and the form um, puts it together so beautifully. Um, why is it that you, like, how did you get into writing formal poetry? It, it always feels to me like formal poets are in a sort of club that's very similar to the haiku community, where there's this little, really tight-knit, wonderful community. Um, but if you look at, like, the... Um, acknowledgments at the back um you know it's the same journals that publish form um you know mezzacamain um lyric magazine raintown review stuff like that the only one missing is hudson review but but you kind of got all of them in there um 
do you, do you feel like there's a community around form and um and why did you get into writing form why is it what does that do for you um so there i think there really is a community i think i was writing in form before i found that community so i think it really came out of my education and also my upbringing. We read poetry when I was a child and I loved people like Dorothy Parker and Ogden Nash as well as, you know, Robert Frost. And um, so I just think that formal poetry was, was part of my heritage. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then I discovered that there were people out there who actually enjoyed writing mm-hmm. it still. Because of course many, uh, Many poets don't enjoy it, or they enjoy reading it, but they don't like writing it. Um, and I like free verse as well. And mm-hmm. my first chapbook actually was free verse, oh, though, with I coo to it. Um, well, the interesting thing about form is that the number one criticism that we get when I, an issue comes out is people say, you know, it's all free verse. Where's your form of poetry? And then I say, well, if you're, if you want. If you want more formal poetry, write formal poetry. It's not that hard. Like, we're looking for it. I love um, formal verse. I love the way things click together and just it feels so sort of complete when it works. And um, and it sort of amplifies the quality of the poem to me. Um, I like writing in form. I like reading poems in form. But it's the fact that, like, 5% maybe of submissions are formal poems. And um, um, I really don't know why that is when people seem like they want formal poetry more. Do you have any any thoughts about that? Um, I always feel like saying, like, you know, put your money where your mouth is and buy a book like Voice Message or something, you know, if there's... Um, um, well, thank you for saying that. <laughs> people will listen to you. Um, I just think it's fashion, and it's been... I mean, people have always written sonnets. I mean, maybe in the 18th century, not too many sonnets were written, but um, so it's it's not as if these forms really die, um, even though sometimes people want to say, oh, the sonnet is dead. But I think free verse is what people think a poem is right now. Um, and I don't know if that will change. I do think that we have a, an eclectic uh, group of poems out there. I mean, I get those two poems a day from uh, poetry.org and also from the Poetry Foundation. And it is rare to have a formal poem um, in uh, poetry.org's offerings of a poem a day. The Poetry Foundation has more formal poetry. So mm-hmm. um, I tell my students, sign up for both of them and you'll get a really great variety. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, you want to read a couple more poems from the book? And I should say, too, um, if anybody has any questions for Catherine, um, I'm watching both chat on um, Facebook and YouTube, mostly YouTube. So if you have any questions for Catherine, ask them there, and I will pass them along. Um, okay, so I'm just going to – I have an epigraph in the first uh, part of the book, and um, it's from John Donne, who's a poet I adore and um, also teach. And it, it explains a little bit about why I thought in particular this book with this material uh, made sense in formal verse. And it, it's a poem of his called The Triple Fool. And he wrote, Grief brought to numbers cannot be so fierce, for he tames it that fetters it in verse. And numbers, of course, means rhyme and meter. So that idea of using form to contain something that in in most ways feels uncontainable or inexpressible 
So I think form helps. Right now, um, I, like everyone, I'm writing poems about the coronavirus, and, and many of them are in form because it helps me. Um, so I recommend trying it because sometimes it makes things easier. That being said, should I read a, a free verse poem? Yeah, yeah, that'd be a, a perfect segue. <laughs> okay. uh, so uh, the, there are two short poems, two woodcuts. And um, say the page number too so I can show it for people. Oh, it's on page four and five. Okay. And the first one is called Red Fuji, which um, is a, a woodcut by Hokusai. And I went to Japan with my daughter Rachel the year before she died. So these are two poems of, about that trip. Very short. Sleeping daughter in the next bed, I woke Red Fuji. Every morning wakes to my daughter still dead. You should have woken me, she later said. Summer day, Boston, Hokusai exhibit, Fuji, blue and red. Two, Hiroshima Peace Memorial Park. Everywhere in the park, light and peace surround a monumental grief. Fierce, not dark, the open wound, not the hard scar, paper around floating fire. There's another poem from Voice Message. It's interesting that you said that's free verse because, you know, knowing, you know, most of the book, I read that and I was thinking, what form is that that I don't know? <laughs> is this syllabic? I was like counting syllables. I mean, there's the rhyme in there, the, the you know, and so I was thinking like, what, what form is this? So um, <laughs> I'm glad you said that. It kind of throws you, throws you off a little bit. Um, but a beautiful poem. And... Um, I don't know. Do you want to talk about about how poetry helps um, you know come to terms with grief? You know, it's, there's a way that sort of poems are containers for loss or something, so you can put them outside of yourself. Do you have that experience? Like, do you feel more healed for writing these poems? Well, the the chat book, which was poems sort of similar to that, very short three line poems. Really, I wrote those poems right after Rachel died, and um, and so that really was part of my grieving. Um, and then I revised them and kind of, and about a year after. And so I think that was at a different stage in my grieving. So that helped that process of sort of putting them together into some kind of coherence, because obviously they came out of a very chaotic moment. Um, the poems in this book were written over a, a, the course of about six or seven years. And... I mean, one of them that was published in Rattle and that I, I will read called Marginalia really describes an experience I think so many people have, which is that um, I was reading one of my daughter's uh, college books and I found her little notations in it. And it's that that desire to, to hear the person's voice in the margins of the book. Um, and it was also uh, Freud and it was about Freudian slips. So it had all kinds of resonance for me. But I think that experience is is a very common one that and it you know you can have it also about clothing it's not just books and marginalian books so I think it's something and when I wrote a lot of these poems I I I did think I could write these poems I'm a writer and maybe that's something I can give to other people who have experienced losses mm -hmm. many many people out there uh, 
go through what what we went through so yeah yeah do you want to read that poem marginalia now it's a good introduction to it so um just a note that flubber is a 1997 movie. Um, I really don't remember it very well, but I think it's Rachel's favorites. Um, it's about a nutty professor, Robin Williams, who keeps missing his wedding. So it's a kind of Freudian slip, uh, kind of, uh, right? He, he misses his wedding because he really wanted to be there. Um, so this poem is called Marginalia, and the section of the book, um, which is also called Marginalia, also has an epigraph. Um, one uh, poet told me this was a hangover from my PhD that I have to give everything epigraphs. <laughs> um, in the Marginalia too, we talk only to ourselves. We therefore talk freshly, boldly, originally, with abandonment, without conceit. And that's Edgar Allan. Oh, oh, that's um, cool. Yeah, I hadn't. I uh, must have skipped that over as I was reading the book. But that's a cool, cool quote. I like that. Right? Who reads it? Who reads epigraphs? <laughs> yeah. They're there. <laughs> um, okay, marginalia. I read my daughter's old Freud, her college book, an introduction to parapraxis, how we avoid significance in small disruptions. I read her margin notes quick summaries and explanations of his points. What's lost is her. I want to hear her make some crack to roast the guy. I turn the page. Nearer. She writes dad by forgetting names, and something makes her jot down flubber. I also look for hints of blame, some scribbled clue about intent, the words that might help me frame the subsequent event. Then this, if worried about a slip, tend to. Does that make it real or accident? A friend said she stopped at the top. We'll never know why she paused to catch the sun, check out the slope. Likely a patch of ice caused. No way to know or to avoid. She used to why and I'd because, but now all answers are destroyed. Yeah, that's uh, Marginalia from Voice Message. One of the really heartbreaking poems in the book. Um, was she an avid skier? We live in a ski town, and uh, we, we never go skiing. I'm, I'm terrified of it, seeing all the ambulances, um, you know, coming yeah. back and forth in, in the helicopters occasionally. Um, was she a regular, like, a, a, you know, a lover of skiing? She did love skiing, and my husband was the skier. I don't, mm -hmm. I don't ski. Pretty unathletic all around. Um, <laughs> But, um, but she skied and and her brothers and uh, and they really did enjoy it and and she was in New Zealand on a study abroad program, and she was very excited to go skiing in June because post mm -hmm. northern hemisphere people so mm -hmm. it's a the winter thing. Oh, she she was she wasn't even in in the U.S. at the time. Oh, she was down in New Zealand. Oh man, that that must have been hard. Um. Uh, Jackie McManus asked a question about um, how books are composed. She says, it sounds like your book is composed of many different subjects. Uh, it's easier to title a themed book. So how did you narrow down or decide on a title? It's a good question, voice message. I, I was wondering that too. Um, you know, of all the poems in the book, I wondered why that one was the title. Right. Um, 
I think that it's because I like this idea of people who are gone and literature and painting leave these messages for us and we try to understand them, but we also respond to them. And so I, the thing I like about voice message is it's both, it's both ends of it, right? It's the, it's the message that someone leaves on their phone that you get when you call them and they're not there but it's also the message you leave for them. So I like that idea that we strive to have this kind of reciprocal relationship with the past, though of course we can't. Mm -hmm. um, so I think, and that theme is really present in, in so many of the poems. So it is unified in that sense. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, that's right. I'm glad you said that because um, I hadn't really thought of it like that, but that makes a lot of sense. And too, and too why we... Um, write poems in general, you know, why we make art is, is one way to, to keep communicating even after we're gone is one of the most important things about it, I think. Um, yeah, uh, yeah, I like that a lot. It's a great metaphor for, for a lot of things. Uh, do you want to read a couple more poems? Okay, so maybe I'll read um, some less sad poems. <laughs> sure. <laughs> um, so. All right, so I'm going to, why don't I read two poems that are um, about my husband. Uh, he's a photographer. This one um, is called What Can't Be. The sky above sinks deep into a lake. Storefronts emerge from windows on a bus. These double shots photographers all take dissolve the distances that sever us. The sunset pours out from the sliding glass. A woman still inside holds out a tray. A swimming pool is sprinkled with cut grass and clouds the children scatter as they play. Large monuments appear inside sunglasses. Green trees stand framed inside the fireplace. A man glares through a windshield as he passes, and in my pupils you see your drowned face, and your brown eyes give my face back to me, though mirrors make what can't be seem to be. So um, that poem owes a little bit in its imagery to, well, to photographers who love to take pictures of reflections and photographs are not exactly reflections, but it, it sort of uh, complicates uh, our perception of reality when we're looking at something reflected within something within a photograph. Um, so the imagery there owes a little something to, uh, again, to John Donne. But um, this is a poem that uh, takes its title from, from Donne, um, and it is called The Sun Rising, so it's, uh, it's also a sonnet, um, but it is also an obad, which is a morning poem, often a poem of lovers saying farewell in the morning. Um, and Dunn's poem is about, a, we assume, a young couple, um, and they're just very irritated that the sun has come in to wake them up. Um, and so the first line is, busy old fool, and that's John Dunn. Um, and my poem is about an older couple who have a slightly different point of view. 
While all across the town they're waking up to curse the clock and make their morning tea, to rouse the kids or walk the restless pup and look back at their bedrooms longingly, I think the sun's fantastic, rising up and pouring in with youthful yellow gleam and squeezing orange in my reddish cup and slipping in the curtains as I dream. Old fools were lying in the bed we made, for nothing else is calling to us now. Escaping summer's heat and oaken shade, a lazy bull and even lazier cow. We, unlike those young fools, now realize that one day our sun will, in fact, not rise. Hmm. Uh, that was the sun rising from voice message. Um, Catherine, do you want to talk a little bit about your process for writing in form? We, you know, we talked about form a little bit already, and um, and I mentioned that people always ask for more form, but then they don't submit it very often. Um, and I wonder maybe it's because people feel intimidated by the the thought of it or something. Is there a reason? Um, are there any advice that you have, or is there a way that you go about approaching something like a sonnet? Um, like, do you do you um, lay things out? Do you write it linearly? Is it a lot of revision? How do how do you go about that? Um, unless I'm writing a real sequence of sonnets, I don't necessarily know a poem is going to be a sonnet when I start writing it, but I have an idea and it starts falling into that structure of the sonnet. And so that's why it becomes a sonnet. Um, the logic is very clear in a sonnet. You have the turn, you have a nice number of lines a nice square shape on the page. Um, one of the things I love about it is that it speeds up so that you have the first eight lines that are kind of a chunk and then the next four and then the next two. So it's very uh, nice ratio. It's kind of mathematical. Hmm. So something, something I write might feel like that to me. So then I think, okay, this is a sonnet. I mean, my advice is just to read them and not read only Shakespeare and Milton and Robert Frost, but read the ones that, you know, in Rattle or um, they're all over the place. People write them all the time nowadays. Mm -hmm. I, I said the sonnet is, is guaranteed to survive. Um, <laughs> so just read them and see what's the trick. I mean, it used to be you could re read the Nemirov uh, contest winners, and that was sort of good uh, instruction in contemporary sonnets. And I actually did that for a few years. I just sort of, I pulled out the winners. I thought, okay, what is this, what are they doing? Um, and I, I sort of figured it out. Mm -hmm. And I, I discovered the thing that was always present was that very strong turn. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of other things could happen in the beginning and at the end, but you had to have that kind of dividing of the poem. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Open yeah, it's interesting to me that you said it, because I always feel like one important thing that a lot of poems lack, a lot of free verse poems lack, um, is, the, is that sense of movement from one place to another. Like, it's really, if a poem is, I always like to think of a poem as a, um, a, a magic spell that's being cast, you know? And the whole point is to transfer your mental state, your emotional state, from one place to another. So there needs to be, like, this transition from one place to another, and um, the thing about the sauna is it lays it out really formally, like where to put that transition. And, um, and I don't know, it really makes it maybe easier to do it successfully if you know, if you have that architecture, that scaffolding already set up. Yeah. 
I mean, I had a wonderful teacher, Marie Ponceau, who uh, died last year at age 98 or something. And, uh, and she said that, you know, write a sonnet a day. <laughs> and I've gone through various stages doing that. And she said, because the point is, is you just, you throw your, your standards out the window. If you, you know most of them are going to be terrible, but then some of them actually might be poems. So that's another piece of advice I was given and um, I think is kind of good. I mean, the thing about formal poetry, it just, it gives you another tool. Like free verse is amazing, but it's, it's harder because in, in metrical verse, you have something that you're pushing against. So if you break the sonnet in the middle of line seven instead of at the end of line eight, that's like, that has meaning, right? And people, so it, it gives you another source of meaning um, and that's pleasurable and fun. Yeah, can you say a little bit about the Nemerov Award? Um, is it still going on? You mentioned that it's... Stopped. I think, in fact, 2017 might have been the last year. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Do you know why it stopped? I don't. Hmm. That's one of those things that, um, you know, I mentioned before, there's like a little community of formal poets, and that's like the pinnacle, or at least it was, I guess, for formal poets, it seems. Like everybody entered that competition and took it really seriously. And to win, I think, you, I think your bio said you were a finalist twice, right? And, um, and that's like a huge badge of honor to be included among that company for formal poetry, right? So, um, but, it, but, <laughs> but, um, but they don't do it anymore? No, it it stopped. It had been uh, going on for quite a, a couple of decades, mm -hmm. and I don't know. I mean, I think you know how much work it is to run. Oh a poem. yeah, yeah, definitely. Who who ran it? Do you do you know that? Someone named William Bear was the mm -hmm. editor who was in touch with me, um, and then the the poems were published in Measure, mm -hmm. uh, with another formalist. Uh, yeah, yeah. Hmm. Um, well, do you want to uh, read a couple more poems? Okay, so what I want to read a, a, what is for me quite a long poem, mm -hmm. and it also was published in um, Rattle, and it's uh, a poem about a writer I love, and I always like to give her a plug, uh, Constance Wilson, who is mostly known um, because she was a great friend of Henry James, um, and there have been lots of novels written sort of imagining her relationship with, with James, um, but I just really enjoy her novels, and I, um, I was thinking about her a few summers ago. And um, when I was about the age she was when she, when she died, and so I wrote this poem uh, called Dust. Constance Wilson died in Venice, January 24, an apparent suicide. She was not yet 54. Henry James said half one's feeling for her was anxiety. He wrote it repeatedly in letters that scholars find revealing of James's own anxiety. He thought her cheerful manner, a facade, as flowers set in the window have nothing to do with what's inside. Did he think how the pots might fall below, the careless maid knocking them off the windowsill? His metaphor is shocking as Wilson was the pot that fell. She would hate the bios and novels about her lovelorn melancholy. She was a writer who wanted readers, and of course she was lonely, living abroad, far from home, to save money. 
I reread her novels most years. I like the smell of old papers and books, of library stacks, forgotten lives. I take them like snuff in the afternoon, the past boxed up like Bluebeard's wives. Who isn't lonely as she grows older? I clean the embossed spine of East Angels, bought for nothing when secondhand books first went online. I spend hours dusting and wiping each shelf with lavender oil to fight off mildew and soil. The last Christmas, she turned down all invitations. She wanted to be alone with her things and memories. Her gondola wound for miles around the lagoon. I am now her age, and I don't believe she killed herself for love. Hers was a deeper grief, and she was not afraid to die. She wrote that repeatedly. James couldn't get over that suicide is impolite. It seems so out of character, like refusing to eat your host's meat. I think she reached the limit of memory, writing, and stuff. Even a gentle lady has the right to say enough, not enough, enough. And that was Dust from Catherine Barrett Sweat's new book, Voice Message. Um, I keep, you know, now that you're reading... Um, these poems after explaining that the the purpose or the title of voice message, I keep thinking of poems as voice messages, and the whole process of um, of participating in poetry really is exactly like you know you get these voice messages from the past from John Donne or somebody like that, and then and then you have your own response which they can't hear, but somehow it's still an exchange, um, and and you have that whole section of book that that that's sort of like that uh, at the very end, the last maybe dozen poems or so. Um, it's a really cool, cool um, way to think about poetry. So, so thanks for that. Um, over on um, Facebook, Jessica Dawson says, um, "It's not really a question, more a statement, but we'll we'll make it a question." Um, she said, "In college, several years back, we were told that form wasn't something that editors would be interested any, in anymore." Uh, she says, "I loved writing them, and yet I was discouraged by the seemingly lack of acceptance of them." Since then, I have had two acceptances of a sonnet and villanelle. And, um, um, yeah, and so someone else said something very similar, which I can't find right now. But, um, but there is that, that thing about teachers telling students not to write in form. Um, why do you think that is? You're a teacher. How do you, how do you go about teaching poetry? And, um, and, and I assume you don't tell people not to write in form, right? No, I don't. Um, we have a poetry workshop in, uh, at my school, my high school, and, um, we divide it up, and so the first semester is sort of introduction to poetry, and then the second semester is introduction to form. So I've taught both halves. Um, so yes, I have taught uh, formal poetry, and I really enjoy um, doing it and introducing kids to it. Recently, um, we were doing ballad form, and I had the great uh, pleasure of playing them uh, Auden reading when I walked out one evening. And um, I think Listening to him read that poem, it says a lot more than I could about why form matters and why it's kind of silly to dismiss it because it's just another tool like any other. Um, but you can write an incredibly profound and original um, poem like that um, in the oldest form without mm -hmm. and get more antique than that. So. Yeah. Um, and I think it's true, though, that it's, 
I, I was in a, a, a manuscript workshop this fall, and um, one of the people in the in the group with me said, "You're so brave, you know. How can you write these poems?" Because you know, she had gone to Iowa, where she said, "You know, if you had tried to write anything in meter or rhyme, uh, you would have just been uh, pilloried." So oh, I think yeah. it's, but um, but I also think it's not true. Yeah. Yeah. It's just hard to believe that. Um, but I have to admit that Rattle, Rattle had a statement when I got here in 2004. And we said, we like formal poetry too. But there was something that I can't remember how it was phrased, but we said it was like harder to do than free verse. And, um, and um, so make sure your sonnet is really good or something. That was in the, in the submission guidelines, which um, I don't know, I always found a little baffling and I deleted that <laughs> pretty soon. But um, um bad free verse but not your bad <laughs> exactly it implies like oh yeah send your terrible free verse but just don't send terrible rhyme and i don't i don't understand where <laughs> where that came from but um do you think um it's do you find it harder to write in free verse now without structure or without sort of rhyme propelling you forward once you get a poem started like i always find that that if i'm in a phase where i'm writing a lot of form it's the form itself that gives you like different ideas you know, like you yeah. think of a word that you wouldn't have thought of if you need a certain length or if you need a certain rhyme. Um, do you find it now hard to write free verse? I mean, you know, the the sort of perhaps the one of the most uh, famous contemporary formalist poets, A. E. Stalling, said, you know, at a certain point, she just realized that she was better at the formal <laughs> word, mm-hmm. and I I I haven't reached that I'm not as um, experienced as she is and I haven't written as many books but um, I'm tending in that direction I think that free verse is really really hard to uh, because right a, a form demands that you fix it until it's right and free verse it's harder to know when you're finished I guess that's for me the difference mm-hmm. But do you, you don't think it, it helps with the creative process itself? Like, I always feel like like we do, like like we have ways. I always feel like poetry is a communication of the subconscious. And there's certain ways that we learn to turn off our conscious thought so we can let the subconscious communicate. And I always feel like form is one way that people teach themselves to shut their sort of left hemisphere up and let their right hemisphere think. And um, And so, you know, having to focus on the meter and the rhyme like leaves your subconscious free to express itself i think it's, it's sort of like a juggling you know like those things where um you know if you if you do a, a quiz and they make you respond in, like immediately so that you get the answer that you really believe and not what you think people want to hear i kind of feel like that's what form writing in form does do you find that or do you think it's more about the re- i think it's about i was talking about the revision before but i think that's absolutely true it, it's very liberating um i have one of the poets um, who who died recently, that D- W. S. Merwin, who did write formally for many years, but his later books are are not formal verse, and he taught me a lot about how free verse could retain that that beautiful structure and music, um, but without having the absolutely regular meter and and rhyme. Mm-hmm. Um, so I. When I am in a mood and I can write something like that, then it feels very free, the free verse. But 
I agree that the structure of the of the Sonic or of Villanelle, Villanelles in particular, I think are very liberating. Mm -hmm. um, because once you get that line, then it's how am I going to get back to it? And it, it, it does kind of free you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's interesting that you say that because I feel like most people would think that it's it's restricting and not liberating. But but in my experience, it, it, it is liberating too. Um, do you want to read a couple more? All right, well, maybe I'll read A Villanelle. Yeah, that'd be good. Good segue. Okay. Um, so there are two Villanelles in the book, and I'll read the second one, uh, which is called Winter Light. I wish I could believe that ghosts were true. A flashlight ready when the lights go out that death could leave behind a bit of you. I pass you on the street. I interview someone who tosses her black hair about. I wish I could believe that ghosts were true. Forget-me-nots return each year in blue. Your brother smiles and something in his mouth. I think death left behind a bit of you. I wear your yellow sweater from J. Crew or hear a piece you practiced on the flute. I can almost believe that ghosts are true. The skin, the voice, the laugh, the it of you grow daily more and more remote. Death's only left behind a bit of you, which isn't you. The winter light comes through your window on a thousand whirling moats. I wish I could believe that ghosts were true and death had left behind a bit of you. That's a great, a great example of the form that I can almost believe the ghosts are true. Such a great refrain to run through the poem. And it's true, right? One wishes that ghosts. I, I think at my age and experience, the idea of a ghost is thrilling. <laughs> you know that I never thought of that either, but that's totally true. Like I, you know, when I was a kid, um, I was terrified to go in the basement because it was one of the, you know dark and creepy, and maybe there's a ghost down there. But now, you know, the thought is sort of, is much more appealing. <laughs> that Maybe I could get to be one, I guess. <laughs> Do you want me to read another? Yeah, yeah. Um, all right, this is a, another poem that was in Rattle. Um, it's called City of Refuge. Um, I dream we're exiled to a distant land a home for careless parents searching for the lost, a place where locals understand we'll never find what we had years before. And when a stranger there makes idle chat, we know he'll know that we have a dead child or two, and he does too, and he'll know that you talk about the dead as if alive. For in the waking world, we hesitate to mention her. We have to make a choice between our neighbors staring at his plate and somehow seeming to have lost his voice or are just saying that we have no daughter the way a drunk might say his gin was water. Yeah, I remember, you know, picking that poem for publication and uh, just that those last two lines are just so, so haunting and good. Um, Um, I was going to ask about um, 
What was I going to ask about? Now I can't even remember. I was going to ask about your, your the publishing process. Um, cause, cause that's what, cause, um, somebody else was talking about how they thought editors don't want to deal with form and stuff like that. And, um, do you feel like you had trouble, you know, finding a niche or, you know, sending out submissions? Like how long have you been sending out submissions and trying to get a book published? Is that something that, um, happened, you know, more seriously after 2010 when, when your daughter died? Or is that something you've been doing for a long time? Well, I've been writing poetry for a long time. Um, but I really did start uh, sending things out more seriously. And I just, I, I, I stopped sending things to the New Yorker. Probably <laughs> <laughs> yeah. that I was doing in my 20s and 30s. Um, and I might even have gotten a nice letter back from the editor at one point, but I realized that there was a practical thing. I mean, you don't think of poetry as being particularly practical, but um, so I realized that the formal poems might find an audience in in journals that seem to like them. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah. So that I I just was uh, more persistent, and um, I think I got better too. It, like the the business of it, like the grunt work of sending stuff out. Oh, the poem is better. Yeah, yeah. Because I was writing more. Mm -hmm. um, I just was, and I think I was reading more and just thinking more. Yeah. Hmm. So, I mean the the earliest poem in this book is almost thirty years old, but um, but most of them are much more recent. Than hmm. What's the oldest poem in the book? Do you want to read that? That might be sort of interesting to see if we can tell the difference. <laughs> yeah, I, I I read it to myself today, and I was like, uh, I don't know if I want to read it, but um, it's it's um, it's called Mrs. Van Winkle. Um, so it's as in Rip's wife, um, and I always I think I I felt bad for her because he's always going off and trying to avoid her, and she's the sort of classic. Uh, shrew in literature so I, I was trying to imagine uh, her and what her experience was of marriage to Rip that's called Mrs. Van Winkle um, stuck in the small in, sorry, stuck in that small sleepy town where the wind blows the dust in most days and the neighbor's cow tramples down the frail lettuces she flays the trees with her tongue as she strips a chicken of feathers and sweating dismembers its limbs. Glimpsing her man as he slips out the gate with his grin and gun, she remembers how once his hard hips hooked above her thighs, his odd twitch and gasp as she pulled him in to her own triumph caught in his widening eyes. Those lines that use has pulled so thin he still tries to not with rage, to flog his impotence, his affection for the dog. Oh, yeah, that's that's still just as good as a newer poem, I think. Um, did you revise this a lot, or is this, is this sort of how it originally was 30 years ago? It's how it, it's how it was. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I once heard uh, Charles the poet, Charles Simic speak, and he, he talked about revision, and of course we poets revise a lot. But he talked about revising old work and how you you do it and then you realize that the poem was flawed and it, you wrote it when you were young, but that it's like an, an old, awkward friend and mm -hmm. you just don't, 
you don't want to change yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Well, we're totally different people than we were when we wrote it. You know, if it's an older poem, like you know, tw- twenty years ago, I was, I mean, just not the person I am right now. And, and we just change and grow, and we don't even have the same cells in our body. Um, so, it's always interesting to read old poems, and, and and it is like like talking to an old friend who you don't quite relate to as much anymore, <laughs> like an, like a friend from high school or something, on a class reunion. <laughs> Yeah, try to remember how did how where were you? <laughs> I actually see where I was when I wrote that poem. So that's a kind of nice thing that happens mm-hmm. with poems is that they bring back your you know your own past to you. Do you um do you, do you write a lot and then like save stuff that's not published and look back at it, or do you sort of just write and flush it down the toilet if it doesn't work? Well, I write by hand initially, so it's all sitting in notebooks. Hmm. Um. So not much gets flushed down the toilet. <laughs> and I mean, there's no waste paper basket anymore, right? Yeah, yeah. I, book, I'm not going to rip a page out of my notebook. That would ruin the beautiful notebook. Um, and then I go to the computer where, you know, everything is there at some, in some form or other. So it's harder to get rid of stuff than it used to be. Mm-hmm. But I do lots of stuff that never gets out of the notebook and onto the computer Mm -hmm. why by hand do you think is there a reason you know i'm old (laughs) (laughs) um but i like it it's tactile and i like pencils because i can erase um and yet i see the erase erasure um feels good but then for a lot of and i even do some revision in my notebooks um i'll sometimes you know, go to the opposite page. But at a certain point, I go onto the keyboard. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do rarely compose on the keyboard. Once in a while, mm-hmm. I do. Yeah, I, I can't, I find I can't write by hand because I can't keep up. Like, my handwriting is too slow and sloppy. And if I've tried, it's always like, like my brain is eight steps ahead of my hand, and it's just too frustrating. Um, Jillian has a question. Jillian, Jillian here. Um, she is spinning off. We, I, I think I mentioned, or you mentioned that a poem is sort of a container for emotion, like grief. And she asked, do you find that it gives the emotion a validation because you can recognize it, name it, own it and validate it? Yeah. And shape it. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I think if I, if I came back, I would be a, a great singer or a great painter. Right. So I think writers, we, we have envy of other art forms that seem <laughs> such a more direct emotional uh, capacity. But for me, yes, poetry is where I can put a lot of emotion. Mm-hmm. Um, though I do feel bad if like people will say, oh, your poem made me cry. And I don't know, I feel that I feel a little bad that my poem made me cry. Well, crying is, is good, though. Like to, to have an experience that makes you feel something um, is... I mean, it's the same thing. I always compare it to like skydiving or something. It's like a, a broad mental skydiving to read a really good poem that takes the top of your head off. But to be taken somewhere, like you'd say, you know, skydiving is terrifying and it's miserable. But uh, but it's also a thrilling rush that makes you more alive. And Wait, I think that's what. I have not. I'm imagining what it would be like. I would not go skydiving, um, but um, but I can imagine, or you know, a lot of other things that I would not do. But but some people love that, and some people love um, journeying, 
you know, through those mental skydives, you know, and um, I think it, I think it's somehow related. Yeah. Um, let me see. A lot of people are saying in the chat that they write by hand too. So you're not alone. <laughs> um, I find and then you get stationary stores and pick up nice notebooks. That's true. Do you feel like it, um, like creates a sacred space or something having a journal that that's like a, a nice paper and things like that like like i'm getting into the serious business of writing and and i'm gonna treat it respectfully or, or is that kind of part of it you think it's also transportable so it's a defined space the notebook um on and some people always use the same kind of notebooks they have to have a sort of fetish they have to have this exact kind of three you know spiral bound notebook or uh, Borum and Peace, uh, Heart Ledger book or something. But I actually like different covers um, so that, that they mark a different year or something. But I like the same basic size. And it means I can write my poems in the dining room or in the living room or in bed or even on the bus um, or the train. So I do like that way that you can take that space. And I guess you could say the same thing about a computer, but I do all my work on a computer. I, I write emails. So this is, mm -hmm. has one purpose oh. and it's transportable. So that's what I Yeah, that's a, that's a good point too that I never thought of that. Um, like, like if you're having trouble sleeping, they say don't do anything in bed besides sleep because then you're training yourself that that space is a space for sleep. But you know, I type stupid emails all day on, on uh, the computer. And so, of course, it doesn't feel like a special space for writing. Um, no one's asked this yet, but people ask this all the time. Um, who are your favorite people to read right now? Are there certain poets that you really admire and are enjoying lately? Well, I do like um, A. Stallings a lot. Um, and um, let me think. And, and Merwin, I have to say, he's, he's extraordinary. And um, in terms of older people, I guess, you know, Auden and Frost and Bishop. Um, actually, I've been reading Bishop a lot during the coronavirus. I find her very uh, serene. And I mean, she's not serene. She's <laughs> edgy and ironic. But there's something about her that she's just her mind is so clear, mm -hmm. I guess. I'm getting at more and than there's some of her poems that seem like they're about the coronavirus i don't know if you've seen or, or noticed that but i've a, a few people have like posted them on um facebook or whatever and i'm like whoa it's like she's channeling the future or something um wish i could remember that the title of one off the top of my head that i'm thinking of but yeah um do you want to, we have like four minutes left do you want to finish off with a poem or okay. two if, if uh, they like sonnets yeah, why don't I do a couple of um, of sonnets? Um, I'm gonna do one that's about um, it's about a son. So it's called storage. He puts away sports trophies, childish things throws out the Simpson doll he loved at 12, clears out some space for new books on the shelves, the Sartre next to the Fellowship of the Ring, the Brothers K, Das Kapital, the Wings of the Dove, how quickly adolescence delves into the multiplicity of selves, 
the 16 years in one small bedroom brain. A bit, of, a bit of Lego buried in the rug's worn pile reminds me of the eight-year-old, happy to talk, so casual with hugs. His voice was high and shoulders not so broad, and now the younger boy is safely stored inside the one whose look can stop me cold. That's for parents whose <laughs> children <laughs> yeah. giving I'm in there in very close quarters, right? <laughs> yeah, that was one of the poems I really enjoyed. I have a five-year-old son, and so imagining him inside of a the teenager, he's going to be being like, "Mom, where's the Sunny D?" You know, <laughs> is a I enjoyed that poem a lot. Thanks. Enjoy the enjoy the the Lego and all the things that irritate mm -hmm. him now. Yeah, he is obsessed with the Lego. <laughs> yes, yeah. Some children really get into Lego. Um, well, I usually close with this one, so I think I will again. Um, it's a summer poem, and um, it refers to the classical Chinese poet, another poet I really love reading, Tu Fu. Um, and it's called, and it's another poem that in, it's about my husband, Late This Summer Night. I read you some translations of Tu Fu as all around tree shadows on the lawn sparkle with the flashy multitude of fireflies that show up every June. The government decays, but they appear, a disco frenzy stretching to the sky, above our heads, below, in front, to the rear, impossible to trace with just the eye. The night comes late, the air feels warm and wet, our dinner's done, but it is good to drink with bats, bullfrogs, pond moon. Good to forget how many states we've seen rise up and sink, how many summers we've seen disappear, and wondered if we'd see what comes next year. Excellent. This Late Summer by Catherine Barrett Sweat from her newest book, Voice Message. Thanks so much for joining us, Catherine. It was really a pleasure hearing your poems and, and getting to talk to you. Um, hope you uh, have a nice, nice week and stay safe. Yeah, you too. Thanks so much, Kim. It was great talking to you. Yeah, good night. Good night. I guess that was Catherine Barrett Sweat. Um, her book is from uh, Autumn House Press, which you can find. Um, put the uh, website on the screen if you can see it. That's Autumn House Press at autumnhouse.org, just like it sounds. Pick up a copy if you can. It's a really great book, if you, especially if you like formal poetry. Um, let's see. So there's 56 people watching still on YouTube and only 17 likes. So just click that like button for me. It really helps. It tells it tells the algorithms that this is broadcasting that, that people want to read. Uh, so I really appreciate it if you could do that. Um, and hope you're enjoying the show. We, we meet like this every Tuesday night with a new poet. Um, I might as well say right now, next week's guest is going to be Charles Harper Webb, uh, Rattlecast number 37. Uh, Charles Harper Webb is the first poet we published way back in issue number four, I think. I mean, not the first poet we published, the first poet we interviewed. Um, it was Alan's very first interview. And um, maybe we'll have to talk about that because I've heard the story about how Alan had no idea how to do an interview and was terrified and walked in and um, was terrified through the whole interview. So I wonder if um, Charles picked up on that. But we'll see what Charles Harper was up to. His newest book uh, is uh, Sidebend World from, I think that's Pitt Press. Um, so we'll talk to Charles Harper Webb um, very entertaining poet, one of those poets we've published a whole bunch of times. Now, we also have an um, open mic for a prompt every week. 
and um, just to encourage everybody to write poems because writing poems is a wonderful thing to do. Now, last week's prompt was a happy love poem. Um, it's harder than it sounds. Try to avoid cliches. And all these poems are from, um, all these prompts are done by Megan uh, Rattle's assistant editor and my wife, who's in the next room over. And um, I was a terrible husband and did not write the prompt poem this week either. I really should have written a happy love poem. Um, but I am overwhelmed trying to um, read all of our Chappaquiddick Prize submissions. Uh, we're supposed to announce the winner on April 15th, and um, I am just reading manuscript after manuscript, so I didn't write anything this week, but Megan did. And um, this is what she wrote for her own prompt. This is precipitation. Um, and now this better be about me and uh, and not Todd, her, her ex-boyfriend from 20 years ago, because... Um, I don't know who else she'd write a love poem for, if you know what I mean. So let's see, this is uh, Precipitation. Sometimes when the day is done, it has washed us clean like a light, baptismal rain. We come together and make each other softer, like snow falling on snow. Sometimes the day is a dust storm and our bodies are clouds of it. And when we come together, what we give each other parches us. And on those days, we go our separate ways, but I can hear you typing, and you can hear me humming, and when the sky opens again, it will cover everything. That's a really, really nice poem. Thanks so much. Uh, Megan's a great poet, so part of the reason I'm doing these prompts is to make her write stuff, because she's a much better writer than me, and uh, she hasn't been writing. So um, I'm glad we could, we could make her write poems, and, um, and I like that poem a lot. Let's see. And now, uh, next up, we have... Uh, Caitlin Buxbaum, and we have audio from her. Now, if you if you um, wrote a prompt poem this week for this week's prompt, uh, there's a few things you can do. You can email it to openmic at rattle.com. Then I can show the poem on screen like Caitlin did. You can include audio so I can just play it like Caitlin did. You can also call up and let me put the um, numbers up on the screen. The, the phone number to call in is 818 818- Eight five zero seven seven two seven, or you can send me a chat message over Skype, uh, and that's Rattle Poetry, all one word, and I will call you when I get a chance. Um, let's see. Um, and Carrie Redness says she, uh, let's see, was it a love poem? Um, for the prompt. Yeah, so we're we're, we're fixing these uh, open mics to the prompt. And so it has to be a poem that was written after the prompt because we want to encourage people to write poems because writing poems is a really great thing to do, even though I didn't do it myself this week. Um, so, so this is Caitlin Buxbaum's poem. I keep clicking the wrong one. Sonnet number one. She wrote two sonnets for us. And um, here they go. This is uh, sonnet number one by Caitlin Buxbaum. Sonnet one. The familiar lightness of your sure hands Upon my naked hip, lip, breast, or brow Speaks to the marked tenderness of man The exquisite infinity of now If the working hours in a day run long In the cloudy absence of your soft voice I will know, we will know, I was not wrong To confidently make this endless choice of living in your warm, generous arms, 
mapping the scattered freckles on your face, as, with your touch, you silence all alarms and carry us with ever-flowing grace. May we live content a thousand-odd years, unburdened by our callous doubts and fears. That was uh, Caitlin Buxbaugh. Astral Sonnet 2. Well, here's Astral Sonnet 2. If I were an ancient astronomer, and your skin a pale sky of widespread stars, I would smile and gladly take forever just to chart with awe the few faded scars. Gazing at your ever-astral body, I could while away the rest of my days, watching freckles form or pile an eddy in unending celestial arrays. But if the long governing sun had eyes to see the spangled marks you've left on me, he'd forget his duty to stay and rise each day to help us form a galaxy. We won't trust our stellar love to science, but unite in heavenly defiance. And that was Caitlin Buxbaum reading uh, two sonnets that she wrote for the prompt this week. Caitlin is an overachiever. And uh, she's also the founder of Red Sweater Press in Wasilla, Alaska. You can check out more about Red Sweater Press at redsweaterpress.com. So thanks so much for sharing those, Caitlin. She, um, she's here live a lot, but she said uh, she's got a, an, another online workshop at the same time tonight. So she sent those uh, over email, uh, which is great. So thanks so much, Caitlin. Now the next up, we have um, Sean King. And uh, here's Sean King's poem from the prompt Shared Vision. Shared vision. Are we... Look it, look. What? Over... I've never... It's... You have to... To the right or behind, but... Wait, I'm not... Did it... No, it's still... Just if you... I don't know if... Maybe... You will if it doesn't... Has it... Where did... A little to... There. Did you... If it's the... Is it... More to... Oh, there! Was that... Why am I... Oh my god, I hope... I see it! I see it too! <laughs> so, there's another poem... Some... There's another poem uh, that was Matthew King, uh, an excellent one, and I'm glad that I didn't read it because that would have been tough to read, but that was a great poem, Shared Vision. And Sean, or Matthew King lives near Wollaston Lake in Ontario, Canada, and you can find his nature photography, which I mentioned before, is really good at birdsandbeesandblooms.com. Now, um, for uh, next week, the... Um, open or the prop poem is going to be this isn't this is why i can probably take care of uh, i can probably do this this is a um erasure poem using a news article from the past week so so this week it's sort of a poet respond you could even submit it to poet respond if you want if you do it by friday um but that's next week prompt an erasure poem using a news article from the past week and if you don't know it probably most people do but if you don't an erasure poem is where you take a body of text and then just black out sections of it to make a totally new poem that says something different um, so that's an erasure poem so write one this week and then submit it to uh open mic at rattle.com and uh, we can share it next week um i'll do one too that that's something i can i can find a little time to do well i shouldn't promise <laughs> i just had so much work this week um but uh but i'll do my best and try um so 
once again, thanks so much for joining us. That is our show for tonight. Hope you enjoyed it. Um, the guest, uh, once again, was um, um, Catherine Barrett-Sweat uh, and her new book, Voice Message, which you can get from Autumn House Press. And next week's guest is going to be Charles Harper Webb uh, and his new book, Side Bend World. Um, Charles has been in a whole bunch of issues of Rattle, and like I said earlier, he was the, the first poet that we enter, ever interviewed for an issue. Um, so he's been around for a while, and I think he's published about two dozen books since the time we interviewed him first in 1997, 1998, whenever that was. So I'm um, looking forward to seeing Charles Harper Webb next week. Hope you can join me then. Um, I should say really quick, too, that we have um, a uh, open mic show now every Sunday. It's going to be the time is wrong. I forgot to update that. We're going to move it up two hours. So it's going to be noon Eastern time or 2 a.m. Pacific time. Um, so it's first thing in the morning. We'll compete with all those Sunday morning talk shows and we'll share poems and talk about the news through poetry. I'll, I'll share the poems that we published for Poetry Spawn that weekend and uh, explain why I like those poems. And we'll also uh, share your poems through the open mic and um, explore the world through verse, which is always a lot of fun. So I hope you join me for that. Uh, in the meantime, I will see you um, next week for Charles Harper Webb. Have a great night and uh, stay safe. Good night.